Turn your Bible to Proverbs 11, 35. 11, I'm sorry. 11, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30. Proverbs 11, verse 30. There are a few words in that verse that I'd like to use to form the background of the message this morning. These are the words of King Solomon, a wise man in his early years and one who forgot God in the last years of his life. But he had this to say as the Holy Spirit led him, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. There's so many things in the Word of God about fruit. I just want to give you a few of these. In Psalm 127.3, the fruit of the womb is his reward. In Proverbs 8.10, my fruit is better than gold. In Micah 17.7.13, 7, the fruit of his doings. In other words, what we do produces fruit. In Jeremiah 17, 10, the fruit of their doings. In Hebrew, in Hosea 11, 10, 13, the fruit of our lives. In Matthew 3, 8, bring forth fruit, meat for repentance. Matthew 7, by their fruit ye shall know them. Matthew 12, Make the tree good, and his fruit will be good. In Luke 13, Jesus found nothing but leaves when he sought fruit. In John 15, bear fruit. In Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, against which there is no law. And in Jude 12, the trees are, the fruit is twice withered because the tree was not good. Now we think about the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. We have to ask some questions. Who is righteous? What does that verse mean when it refers to the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life? Well, certainly you and I are not righteous by nature. The Bible says we're all sinners. We have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In the, book, in the song, Rock of Ages, Augustus Toplady said this, not the labor of my hands can fulfill the law's demands. Could my zeal no languor know? Could my tears forever flow? These for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. None of us is righteous. And so when this speaks of the fruit of the righteous, it must be speaking of the, the only righteous one that ever walked the earth. His name is Jesus. And so the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. But how do you and I become righteous? It is not because we labor or we work or we serve or we turn over a new leaf or we stop doing old things, or we start doing new things. Righteousness is an imputed blessing. 
Blessed is the man in whom the Lord imputeth not wickedness. Our righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. They did it to receive a reward. So people look at him and say, look, he's a good man. We have that term today, Mr. Goody Two-Shoes, or holier than thou. That kind of righteousness has nothing to do with the righteousness of the Scripture. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. In other words, righteousness in a man produces something. By their fruit ye shall know them, Jesus said. How do we get that righteousness? It's not all we do. It's all he did. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but Jesus washed it white as snow. You and I are not going to heaven because we're good, or because we joined the right church, or because we got baptized, or because we've quit some old habits and started some new habits. The only way to heaven is through the one Jesus Christ. Neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved but the name of Jesus. And Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So the righteous one is the one to whom God has imputed righteousness, not our own, but because we have been to Calvary. We put our faith in the righteous one, and he has imputed his righteousness to us, so that the fruit of the righteous one is a tree of life. That's a powerful, powerful truth. What he's saying is, by their fruits ye shall know them. If you and I become righteous because of our intertwining with Jesus, because we've received him as our savior, then he will make us righteous and that righteousness will produce a tree of life. We'll become a somebody in the kingdom of God. This does away with all the inferiority feelings. Some people from early childhood have been born with inferiority complexes. They think they can't do something as good as somebody else can do. Now, of course, the other extreme is I can do this better than anybody else can do. Jesus doesn't give us that attitude either. But the attitude that I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it, is an attitude of selfishness. The whole focus is on the I. But when we say, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me, the emphasis is on Jesus. And he's the one that makes us righteous. And so the righteous is the one, the righteous one is the one who has trusted Christ as his savior. If you'll turn your Bible to Galatians chapter five, you'll see some truths that are very, very important. Beginning in verse 17, Galatians 5, 17. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, 
and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh, works of the flesh, notice, are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, such like, of which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, these are accredited to the Adamic nature, and there's not one person in this room, if you were outside of Christ, would not feel a desire towards some of those things. Not everyone. Most of us want to, wouldn't want to kill people. But I would say in every mind, especially in the minds of young people, there's that desire to experiment with lust. Where'd that come from? Not Jesus. It came from the Adamic nature. But when that nature gets changed by the power of the Holy Spirit, then there's something else that happens. Read further, beginning in verse 22 of Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit, this is the fruit of the righteous man, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Now the fruit of the Spirit is not anger and wrath and clamor and evil speaking and accusations. That's the fruit of the unrighteous. That's the fruit of the natural man. And you and I border on that all the time. You ever heard that expression, down boy? That refers to individuals who recognize there's an eruption or a volcano within us and we have to say, down boy, I don't want to do that anymore. Things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. Things I used to say, I don't see them anymore. My anger must not be at a boiling point. I can speak with discernment to people that I may disagree with or trying to get my point across. Some people have no way of getting their point across except to raise their voice. Others can do it with sublimity and with the righteousness of Christ. I don't think you ever find Jesus arguing with anybody. Now he got upset over making his house a den of thieves and he ran them all out. But when Jesus dealt with the scribes and Pharisees, he didn't argue with them, he just made statements. And when he was before Pilate, and Pilate said, what is truth? Jesus didn't answer a word. Pilate was standing right in the presence of truth and he didn't even have the spiritual understanding to recognize truth. Because he was the old nature, the Adamic nature. If you're here today without Christ, you've never received him as your personal savior. All you operate from is the old Adamic nature. Now you may have learned to have good behavior and do kind things to each other, but deep down under that surface is all that thing that wants its own way. Now the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life.
Now, what does that mean? If you'll turn your Bible to John chapter 16. He said, you have not chosen me, chapter 15 rather, 15, 16. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. As far as we know, Adolf Hitler was never changed. When he was running for his position in Germany in the early years, the early 30s, he would get uh, a sign about his, his uh, campaign, go out in front of a church and have pictures made of him standing in front of that church. So that many got the idea that what he was standing for was the Christian position. It was far from it. As far as we know, Hitler was never changed. The fruit of Hitler's Adamic nature was the death of six million Jews and the disruption of everything good in Europe, Czechoslovakia, Austria, Poland, France, all those nations fell before Adolf Hitler's march. He would have conquered England had not God led FDR to bring America into the war against that Nazi regime. Keep in mind that in Germany there were great scientists. They were ahead of us in developing certain weapons and certain types of warfare. But some of their scientists, scientists could no longer go under the hammer of Hitler. They defected and came to the United States. And God gave this nation the privilege of knowing how to develop an atomic bomb. I remember I was in high school when they had said, the atom cannot be smashed. It's the smallest particle. And then one day on the radio, they announced the atom has been smashed and our science teachers had to apologize and say our science books were wrong. The atom has been smashed. And in just a little while, the terrible tragedy at Hiroshima when the atomic bomb was dropped there. But wait a minute. Even though there were millions, thousands of people killed and millions affected by that tragedy, the world's never been the same since. Since God gave this nation because there was a praying nucleus all across America who met week after week after week, day after day, holding up the Lord in prayer and holding up our nation in prayer. And God gave us the victory. There was a nucleus of righteousness here. America has been accused of being tragically abusive of other nations. I've tried to study American history. I majored in, I minored in history, majored in English, minored in history in, the, in, in college. I've pretty well studied most of the nations of the world. 
I don't think I'm prejudiced when I say <clears throat> that America has tried to help more nations than any nation on earth. We've sent missionaries out. When we conquer a land like Germany or Japan, instead of putting it under our thumb, we allow them to become their own nation and their own leadership. And we provide finances to rebuild their land and rebuild their economy. And for people in this war time today to say America's just trying to create a problem in the Middle East, or we're trying to show our muscles, we're there to stop the tragic tyranny of the terrible abuses that have gone on in that land. I don't know whether you've watched some of the programs about, I don't have a television, but I hear it on the radio, about the, the reckless way people have been treated. One of our persons who was in captivity said they heard all night long people being tortured and they screamed in their torture. Those who have been liberated from Iraq tell about the torture chambers where they pull their fingernails out until they'll talk and just pull them out. How would you like that done to you? Or they put them in trusses and they squeeze them until they'll try to talk or they'll die. I don't know where America's ever done that or not. I hope not. But there's a nucleus of righteousness here. And I don't know what party you're in or what your position is about the war. I want to tell you, America is the greatest nation on earth. We have not defiled other people. Now, in acts of war, there are tragedies. I understand several thousand have been killed in Iraq. We weep over that. Nobody wanted war. They gave Saddam opportunity to resign, to leave, to exile, whatever. He wouldn't give in at all. I don't know whether he's alive or dead. But what we are doing there is not trying to occupy another land. We don't need the ground of Iraq. What we're trying to do is liberate the people. Now that's misunderstood by Germany and Russia and France and some of those others. I can't understand France taking the position they did when we liberated them from Nazi Germany. I didn't mean to get in all this. I'm telling you though, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And when God measures the nations, and one day there's going to be a judgment of the nations. Those that have treated the people of God in a so that he can live his life through you and touch other lives through you, there will be a tree of life. You will be a blessing to others. I think of Mel Trotter. Mel Trotter was a drunk. He stole the shoes from his dead little baby's feet out of the coffin to go out and buy more liquor. His wife had left him. He was destitute. He was going to go down to the lake and kill himself. And on the way down, he went on Van Buren Street, heard some music coming out of a speaker. He turned in, went into the old Pacific Garden Mission. He heard about Jesus. And in a moment, in a moment, 
Mel Trotter's life was changed. The righteousness of Christ came into his life when he surrendered to Jesus. And Mel Trotter went out of there to build missions all over America that would help people come to know God. His life became a tree of life because of the righteousness of Christ. I think of John Newton. John Newton, a little boy of seven, his mother died. His mother taught him John 3.16, for God so loved the world. But then he had to go and live with his dad out on the sea. His dad was a slave trader. Ladies and gentlemen, slavery was always wrong. Never one thing right about it was always wrong. And out on that slave trade, he was ugly and mean and abusive to those slaves. He was vulgar with them and immoral with them. Then one day there was a big storm. And Mel was down trying to sleep and the storm was tossing around and the captain said, we're all going to go down in the gray, in a watery grave. And Mel Tr uh, uh, John Newton got on his knees before God and he said, Lord, I remember my mother taught me a verse. John 3.16. God loves me. If there's really a God, I ask you to come into my heart and forgive my sins and save me. And in the midst of that storm, John Newton gave his heart to Jesus. The man who had been wicked and ugly and mean received the righteousness of Christ in his life. He became a tree of life. He went back to England, finished his education, became a minister, and years later wrote, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Yours can be also. You can make your life sublime. You can make your life a post pointing to heaven. But it's his righteousness in you that will do it, not your own righteousness. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. The fruit of the righteousness of this church can become a tree of life. The fruit of the righteousness of your home can become a tree of life. When you rear your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, the Bible says, train up a child and when he is where he should go and when he's old, he will not depart from it. That doesn't mean he'll never be wayward. It means he'll never depart from what you've given him. The training is there. He may not obey it. There may be conflict in his soul, but it'll always be there. And he can't get away from it. I think one reason some people come to the Lord late in their lives is because some godly training that was given them when they were children, they got away from it, but then they came back. The tree, the fruit of righteousness is a tree of life. And I want to ask you, do you want to be a tree of life? You want God to use you? He will, he can, if you will let him. But it begins by inviting Jesus to come into your heart, to be your personal savior. And say, I don't want my own righteousness. I don't have any. It's all selfish. It's all Adamic. I want the righteousness of Christ. And when he comes in, he changes and saves and gives you liberty and victory. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that the tree of life comes from the righteous one. The one who's been righteous by Jesus, the righteous one. We pray that just now someone here 
will be willing to turn away from self and sin and turn to Christ. This will be the beginning of a new day, a new kind of life that will in the future be a blessing to many, many other people because they've received Christ as Savior. All praise and glory to Thee because Thou art worthy, Thou art holy, and we praise You. We pray that somebody today will receive Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, please. What are we saying? 163, come every soul by sin oppressed, there's mercy with the Lord. He will surely give you rest by trusting in His Word. And I want to ask you if you'd just come today. While we begin to sing, would you step out? I want to meet you here at the front. You come and say, I want to give my heart to Jesus today. I want the Lord to be real in my life, and I want to keep on serving Him. While we sing, we step out for Christ.